Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Sharon Lever. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by principal analyst Gordon Barnett to discuss how the future of work could change what a typical IT organization looks like. Welcome, Gordon. Hi, nice to meet you. So, Gordon, let's talk about the dynamics at hand. What what are the forces that are changing how work would get done for CIOs and their IT organizations? Sure. There's, uh, and that's a, a very important question. It's the first question that we ask many of the IT executives who come to us to discuss about what are the best practices for reorganizing um, their IT organization. And what we usually find is that there are three main drivers or forces that people talk about. The number one is always the drive to be um, more customer obsessed. There are more and more organizations focusing on customer experience. And when the CIOs think of that, it's not just the external customer, they're also thinking about the internal customer. How do they build the experience with their own internal uh, business executives and their own employees? The, the second driver is a lot to do with the, the rise of the employee power. Um, we write about this in Forrester a lot about um, the employee experience. There is more and more drive to retain and retract your, uh, attract employees with sufficient skills. But the people who are coming into the organization are from a different generation. They have different expectations of work, where they want to work, the times they want to work, how they want to do work. So this is making CIOs think about the types of people in their organization and the work that they need to do. And I suppose the the last one is really the exponential advancement of technology. Every individual within an organization has a private life as well as their work life. They're used to using various technologies to interact with other organizations. And when they come into the workplace, they are expecting to use those technologies. And there's a higher expectation on the CIOs enabling them to more effectively work using um, modern technologies. So that last one, Gordon, is is really specific in terms of its impact on the IT organization. The other two, I'd argue, are are things that are impacting organizations across the board, every every different department. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about what specifically what what is it about the traditional IT organization that's such a mismatch with those three forces? Sure. So when we um, think of customer obsession and we think of it from an IT perspective, what you tend to find is traditional um, IT organizations act as historic product companies. They know best. They deliver what they think is important. CIOs are having to change that. What they're now doing is, and to a certain extent, they are co-creating uh, IT services with the people who are consuming those services. You're also finding that uh, many of the decisions about technology used to be in the remit of just the, um, the IT department. But what we're actually seeing now is the workforce are tech savvy. 
because of their training at college, the younger generation, they know the technology. Most of them feel very comfortable with actually making technology decisions. So therefore, things like governance models and things like that need to change. So the role of IT is sort of uh, really changing. Um, when you think of the people side, you're tending to find that people um, nowadays want to focus on something that um, is relevant to them as a person. So they um, would like to do work in a more collaborative um, way, that they don't want to be just a network engineer who comes in nine to five and does something. These people have different aspirations. So the CIOs are looking from two perspectives. And Forrester talks about this as intrinsic emotion versus ex extrinsic emotion where the intrinsic is ensuring that you're working with employees to make sure the work the company needs to do is good. And then there's the extrinsic view, which is essentially looking at it from the employee's experience. How do you really um, evolve with your people and develop your people as well? Because it's been proven that if you have happier employees, you get better customer service and so on. So these are the things the CIOs are now looking at. What is it about now? So we talked about the forces. I'm also sort of in the back of my head, Gordon, I'm thinking, huh, this is this is stuff we've been grappling with, CIOs have been grappling with for a while. Some have changed, many have not. Um, is this a tipping point? Is there some aspect of it that is brand new? Um, what's your take on how urgent the need to change is at this moment? Or is this just an evolution and a continuation of, of sort of a progression we've been seeing over the past decade, really? Yeah, I, I think that latter point, it's an evolution over time. But I do think um, there are certain organizations, and you can think of the current environment that we're in now, that um, the organizations are changing to take advantage of maybe the positions of uh, certain companies. So CIOs are saying, how can we best serve the organization? And when you start looking at the drivers that we talk about for customer obsession, the, the ability to be customer-led, data insights, fed, uh, fast, and also connected, what we're actually seeing with those aspects is that there is a big focus on speed and agility and traditional CIO operating models, which have been functional, do not um, enable that. They're a blockage. So CIOs are having to think. So there is the, the evolution, how do you continuously improve um, your organization? But at the same time, there's the demand, which is saying you need to uh, change now as well. So Gordon, I think that point about speed is really important uh, for the CIO. It's not necessarily something that's intrinsic uh, to the IT organization or not something we've seen. Is that a requirement for the entire IT organization to move faster and to just move at a different pace? Or do you think it's pockets and that there's sort of different speeds or different requirements depending on what different parts of the IT organization are supporting? Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting point. Uh, what I'm seeing with organizations, and we talk about this in a number of the reports on um, the CIO's operating model, that there are parts of the organization that are lower demand for change, 
and they are also uh, requiring less specialist skills. So these will be your legacy environments and things like that. And what we're finding is that people are trying to organize to support that work through more of a supply demand model so that they have pools of resources that support them. So they work at one speed, but it's very demand driven. There's another part of the organization which we call producers, very high demand, usually the customer facing part of the organization. These are usually fixed teams, smaller teams. They're integrated with the business. And it's all about constant delivery of services that meet the demand of the customer. So in short, the answer is yes. I think there are, we're finding a hybrid. There are some parts of IT that are not fast or don't need to be fast and other areas that do need to be fast. Is fast connected to innovation, Gordon, so that you're seeing more innovation happening in in those sort of more customer-facing roles and less in your traditional um, IT pockets? Or are you seeing CIOs kind of take a step back and look across um, both sets? Yeah, we, we are seeing a lot more innovation and going, continuing from the conversation we just had with uh, Sharon there, where you have these producer teams that are constantly producing very quick change for customers, these integrated teams, we tend to see that they are fixed and they don't do innovation. There is a totally separate group that CIO look at who do the ideation to products. They're smaller teams. They are usually resourced with external resources who are the subject matter experts. And the whole view here is that you don't interrupt the roadmaps of the products or the service teams that are the fast changing. So the teams are dedicated to change. When the product is produced by innovation, and they may be continuously looking at multiple innovation opportunities. One of them may eventually produce a product. A decision is then made as to whether it becomes supported in a support model because it's a product that can be used by many um, producer teams, or do you set up a separate producer team to then evolve that, um, that product or service? So innovation is good and people are expanding in that area. Uh, what I would say is that we're seeing innovation not just as a tech R&D. It is integrated teams with a business. So that's the um, the trend that we're seeing as well. So it's definitely a um, complex uh, organization. I mean, many IT organizations, depending on the size of the company, are, are quite large. And to your point, they are doing a lot of different things. And I think what you just outlined in terms of new demands is just adding to the list. So let's go through, I know some of you, your new research is going through really pragmatic steps that a CIO can take to better align their organization with these trends and think about it in more of a scientific way to get their arms around it rather than it just looking like an incredibly tall order that's, that's hard to tackle. So where should they start? Right. The, the most important thing is to understand the scope of work that IT has got to do. Now, when we say IT has to do, what is the scope of IT? Because the, there are then really a number of steps that we say you should go through. 
you should reassess that scope and you should look at it like a business person does. Is this core to IT and we should do it? Are there certain things that we do that are no longer viable and we should retire? Is there work that other people can do better than us? So we call this unbundling, but if people prefer to use the term outsourcing, you could do that. Um, but there's also automation. So really what we're seeing is IT itself as the, the function or the department is trying to be leaner and focus on specific core technology services. And it's allowing other work to be done through automation or other people. That um, unbundling piece, I like that term. I assume it could be unbundling in terms of, to your point, outsourcing, maybe to a third party, but also I would assume unbundling to other organizations within the company, uh, particularly if you're talking about some of the innovation pieces or product support, if there's a digital product. Any recommendations on when it makes sense to unbundle and, and move that outside of IT versus keeping it within the domain of IT? Yeah, and uh, you're right. The unbundling is internally to the organization and externally. So externally, something would be like cloud services. If you're working with a cloud service provider, why wouldn't you let them do cloud architecture and cloud support rather than internally having those skills? If we think more internally, you want to reduce the duplication of effort. So why have a specific IT risk management group or an IT financial management group? Why not have that provided by a more effective financial management group? So they're the types of things. You, you could say the support services um, rather than or the support activities tend to be considered as good opportunities to go to other people. This uh, reminds me of the debate, though, maybe going back a few years now of do you build a digital organization that is separate? Is that still a raging debate um, of does the CIO have control of that? Do you need a CDO or have we moved past that? And what's the what's the typical approach there? Or is there one at this point? Yeah, I'm not so sure there is a typical approach. We talk a lot about digital transformation. I think it's fairer to say that we are on an evolution. We're on a journey. People are learning as they go along. And um, if I think of digital organizations, I can go to somebody like the New York Times as an example who will have a separate um, digital arm and they were totally divorced from the rest of the organization, had their own IT. Is that best practice? I don't know that they made that, that choice. We have other organizations who are looking at um, the whole organization moving at the same speed towards um, digitization so they don't set up a separate digital business. So there's two options. The debate about whether you have a chief digital officer or a, a CIO running it. Um, I see from my research, I see a lot more people called digital um, architects than I do chief digital officers, but that's because of my audience. And those digital architects are end-to-end. -end. So they're biz they know how to do digital business. They're not digital technologists. 
Got it. That makes sense. Okay. So, so reassess the scope of the work makes perfect sense. That needs to be step number one. Where do we go from there? Right. The next thing is to have clear design uh, principles. So design principles are really um, key. So what we really want to do, an example is that if we go to manufacturing, do you want all plants to look the same? If you are in a retail bank, should every retail outlet look the same? So have design principles that govern um, exactly how your organization is going to um, work. Have clear rules about what should be automated. What is a good candidate for automation? Because if you design outside of the principles and it's a uh, try it and see, you take longer and you have more complexity within your design. So the design principles give you far more um, visibility and proof of conceptual models before you, you implement it. Sounds very architecturally, again, because that's my audience. But the thing is that what we're trying to say is that you should have some conceptual vision and be able to prove the vision before you actually go into implementation. So it's not quite the agile world, but uh, for org design, it is something that uh, you should consider. And so, um, you know, with everything that you're saying, there's a ton of change, right? That's That um, is assumed here that's happening. So what's your guidance to CIOs in terms of the change management component of, of this process? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that we find with change management is transparency that people have to empathize with the reason for the change. They have to empathize with or recognize the benefits of where they go in, and they need to understand what it means for them. So if there is lots of transparency about where you're going rather than it's um, a need-to-know basis, and that is the first point. Um, we'd also suggest that you, um, in all the organizations that go through this, what we tend to find is there's a split in ownership. There's the HR side of the organization, so human resources side, that is heavily involved in change. But there's also the departmental change, which would be the, the CIO. They have to work um, together. You, you can't have one person just doing the IT side without including the people side. So whether you call it the people officer or human resource, you need to have them working together. But transparency of the communication, working with people. That, and I say that the people who've been successful have actually worked very closely with the people on the shop floor about how to change things. It's not a top-down approach you actually find that it's both. You have the bottom up and the top down. They're working together. So it's not a vision by some CIO. They really are working with the, the technologists on the floor about how they can better improve the way that they're um, working. On the surface, it feels like, you know, you've got an IT organization that is, you know, in some cases for decades been rewarded for predictability, stability, um, uh, a lot of structure, et cetera. Now we're asking for speed, agility, creativity. That almost feels like too big of a shift to make. I mean, I, 
I hear you in terms of starting and involving everyone and so forth. But really, really, do most organizations, are they able to make that shift or are most of the people in the organization able to make that mind shift or does it require just some replacements, if you will, in terms of new talent, new staff, uh, just to shake things up a bit? A bit of both. If you think of my previous response when we talked about work being automated, retiring some work, unbundling other work, that changes the whole job description of what people were doing. So activities that say somebody as simple as a network engineer may have in his job description had six or seven things to do. Five of those in the new world may disappear, done by other people or automated, stop doing. So you've got to relook at how you now um, use this um, this person. Do you train him to do other things? Do you just um, turn around and say, well, actually, what we're going to do is combine job descriptions? And that's why I said the uh, inclusion of HR. So the whole definition of job families and roles is changing in this um, in this new world. Which is interesting and maybe really helpful because it takes a little bit of the emotion out, right? It's not just about a shift in the way you work and what's rewarded and so forth. It's fundamentally, there's certain things we're not doing anymore and there's new things that we are doing. And it's maybe in some cases more of a skill match question than anything else. Yeah. And I think this is where the employee experience is very, very important because now you're taking away to a large extent what initially might seem as you're taking away my job, you're taking away my livelihood. You've now got to have these discussions with the employee to retain them. And that's why I go back about the transparency of change. You've got to speak with these people, see what their career aspirations are, what is the work the organization needs to do. You've got to have all of that. And I think the other point that you made, um, Sharon, was very important about, yeah, this is a big change. You don't just go from being traditional, old school, to all of a sudden you're this nice adaptive. This is a journey. And what we tend to find is that it's an evolution that people may, I assume if they're going to go uh, product aligned or platform aligned, service aligned, they're going to focus on a number of services, improve the model, and then scale out. It's never a big bang, and they will identify problems and move across. So you're going to have a hybrid model for a good number of years before you get to where you want to be. Well, and I think going back to the another point you were making earlier, Gordon, you have to give your people not necessarily the destination because that may be a bit amorphous and changing and adaptive, but a vision of what you're driving towards, right? So you're not just operating in a, in a, in a silo, but you're working together towards some, uh, some other destination or place or model. Um, so setting that from the top down, but then also having, you know, an individual's peers or whomever are in that kind of test group bring it back to the team as a success story. So getting that top down and bottoms up um, momentum is probably pretty critical here too. Yes. And again, transparency, communication. The point on the vision is the words that we hear, vision is a very um, 
common term that people talk about when they talk about the strategy and the journey that they're going. But what we tend to find with clients is they prefer to use the word aspirational. This is where we aspire to be. It is a vision, but they realize that it may change. Based on today, that's what we're aspiring to do. Right. So it's not a fixed vision. It's very yep. much aspirational. So I think that's a, a very good point. And that um, point about success stories is really important because um, if other organizations, um, parts of the organization are promoting that, I got all of this benefit to doing that, I really love this, that really does um, build up the whole um, culture within the organization, the way that they behave and things like that. It says, oh, this is going to be a big win for us and things like that. People can take away the fear of losing their jobs because now they see they've got a, a future within the organization. So success stories is uh, very, very key. So, Gordon, we clearly went through some steps CIOs can take. And you alluded to this a little bit um, in a previous response, but this is a playbook. It's not necessarily a formula to go to do X, Y, and Z. And you'll kind of, everyone will have the same output. Is that a fair assessment? Perfect assessment. We have seen many organizations who have gone on the agile journey and you will have heard people talk about oh we did scrum we did extreme programming and all that we are seeing exactly the same when it comes to structure of a, a organization particularly a cio organization do we follow the spotify model do we become product aligned or service aligned or platform aligned there are different ways to do this and organizations have different demands, they have different sizes. We have organizations that are still being adaptive, but nearly all of IT is outsourced, particularly in the sort of Scandinavian countries where that's their culture. We have a lot of very lean organizations within the US and say Saudi, where IT is very, very small. They work with an ecosystem of partners to actually deliver. And then you have these big conglomerates who have lots of massive IT organizations who are doing things globally that think differently. So there is no one way. It is like you say, it's a playbook. They are design considerations that you have to take into account. And it really goes back to that point about the principles. Really agree up front. What are your principles? And based on your principles, there'll be two or three different designs. Now, I suppose the, the, the last thing I would say on this, Forrester's research, we often talk about when you go on a journey, you go through a beginner and intermediate and advanced stage. If we say that a journey is towards being an adaptive organization, a customer obsessed organization, when you look at the beginner stage, you will see an enormous variation of the different types of uh, CIO structures. As you go to intermediate, a lot of those will disappear. You'll have a subset and you'll have some new ones. And then when you go to advanced, again, there'll be a subset and there'll be some new ones. So you will learn as you go along, but there is no one structure that everyone's adopting to uh, be customer obsessed. Great. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Gordon. Cheers. Bye. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. 
To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.